you pray with me? Uh, Lord, we, we do confess that um, our life is meant to know you and to honor you and to glorify you, to live out the gospel and to celebrate the gospel. And we confess that we so often turn our eyes away from that and, um, and, and rest in the comforts that we can find in this world or whatever it might be. And, uh, and so, Lord, we uh, repent of that. And um, we want to follow hard after you. We want to chase after you to know you more and to understand you more so that we might, um, indeed, we might serve you with great joy and, uh, and, and not out of a sense of duty, but out of just a sense of um, a, a natural reaction to what you have done for us. And so we celebrate that. We thank you that despite all of our flaws, despite the fact that we so often take our eyes off of you, you continue to love us extravagantly and that you continue to call us your own and call us into deeper communion with you. We ask right now, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you would have us to hear um, and that as we continue in our worship, in study and in learning about you and your grace, um, Lord, would, would we, would we uh, give ourselves over to understanding uh, what you would have for us? And we ask, Lord, that you would speak through Scott, that you would, um, you would just give him the words that you want to say to us this morning, to all of us. It is in your son's precious and perfect name that we pray all of these things. Amen? Hey, children can be dismissed, and uh, you can be seated. A lot of times, I think they're pre- whoa, there we go. <clears throat> a lot of times, it seems like the uh, preaching or something is the focus of church. But I love the fact that here, it's just part of the process of worship of the morning. You know, it's just a, it's a part of it. It's important, but it's not more important than the communion or the fellowship. Or just love that. So thankful for that heart and attitude here. Since uh, moving up here, and everyone who probably is relate to all of you, you, every day you wake up and you're like, I think I live in a painting. <laughs> and then the next day it's a different painting. And so that's one of the things that just strikes me. I've, that I've told a lot of people that's what it kind of feels like here. And then you add the weather and all that too, and it just takes it to a new, you know, a new level. And, uh, in, in my desire to, you know, look around a little bit, I, I've been limited by that just a bit in uh, uh, some of the bike riding I've been doing, I've ridden with some of you guys in here, um, some other folks. And, and for the people I'm riding with, it's kind of a babysitting activity for them. Uh, Chad, um, they sort of, uh, you know, nurse me along and give me snacks and wait and things like that. 
So uh, a lot of my time uh, trying to get back to fitness again is just looking at their back wheel and with my head down in the trail and just, uh, you know, grinding and that kind of thing. And so uh, the other day I was up on the other side of the uh, CBMR and I was on Meander. And some of you have probably been up there. It's just beautiful up there. I was by myself this time. And, you know, the Deer Creek runs through there and then you can look up and it's just, it's one of the most fantastic views. You look up towards Goth, they can see up that way. And I was cruising, and meanders real smooth and flowy and that kind of thing. So I'm just cruising along, feeling real good. I'm like, you know, I'm so tired of looking at people's wheels and, and not looking up to see what's around. I'm going to look up and see what's around. Just for, I'm not going that fast. I'm just look up and see what's going on. You probably see where this is headed. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how, how I got to that point in my mind. Uh, but I just, you know, look up a little bit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that is Awesome. Just looking down the river right there. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, Meander has these U-turns. And I found one. <laughs> uh, it, it was, I mean, I survived, but I was, you know, way off in the woods, in the weeds. And uh, <laughs> you know how that goes. Uh, so, you know, the moral of that story is stop to look. Uh, that was my learning point. But what I'd love to... I'd, I'd, say that because I'm hoping that as we look at this passage today, uh, it's in Acts 2, that we will just look up at what the Spirit is doing, and maybe it'll shake us up just a little bit. So I'm not suggesting that you stop, but that you look up. So if you will, look over with me uh, in in Acts 2. We're going to read 1 through 13 from the ESV. And... So if you're using a machine, uh, click over to that. Um, If you are not and you don't have the ESV, let's talk about that and we'll tell you why. Uh, There's no major reason or anything, but that uh, it's just a very good modern translation. So just a little FYI, that's where this is from. We've been in in a series of Acts. On Acts, this is the third week that we've been there. First week, resurrection. Second week, ascension. And this week is Pentecost. So if you will, follow along with me here. I think we'll have it up here. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia... Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they're filled with wine. So my mission for this message this morning has two parts. 
The first one is that as followers of Christ, if that's who you are in this room, that each one of us would be looking with anticipation for the work of the Spirit, for the movement of the Spirit, that we, and that we would be ready to act with him in what he is doing. That's the first part, that we would look with anticipation for what he is doing and be ready to move with him. And the second part is that like the people of Jerusalem who were there for the celebration, that this town, our friends, neighbors, coworkers, and families would be amazed and perplexed and curious and they would seek answers. The answer that is the gospel. And the way that I want to get there with you this morning is to prove to you, show you, walk through this passage with you to see that the anointing, the filling of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised was inextricably intertwined with the message of redemption for all people. That's what it was about. And so, I'm, I'm gonna, I hope I can show you that and I hope it moves you. Look at Luke 24, the last chapter of Luke, verse 46 through 49. Just as a quick review, Jesus said to the, to the disciples, Thus it is written that all that the Christ should suffer on the third, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, and stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then right after that, in Acts 1.8, a similar comment from Jesus from the same, the same event. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. And so what we see in both of those passages is that the arrival of the Holy Spirit in this context is pushed right up against, you will, ta- you will be my witnesses you will carry the kingdom forward and you will be the ones who will take it to all nations, right? Remember the disciples say, Jesus, is this a time that you're gonna give us the kingdom and make the Jews, bring the Jews into their place of fruition we think you're going to bring us? And instead Jesus says, no, but you're gonna bring the kingdom. And that's what this is and that's what the Holy Spirit is coming for. So those two passages, Luke 24, 46 and Acts 1, 8, really put those right against each other. You're going to be my, mission, my witnesses and the Holy Spirit is going to come and bring you power. Okay? So this is where we pick up the text. So we're going to stay mostly in Acts 2 now, going forward. In Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. We can't underestimate the importance of the... It's not just imagery of the situation of Pentecost and the arrival of the Holy Spirit. We cannot underestimate that. Pentecost was the next big Jewish feast after the Passover. So it was 50 days after Passover. 
there's this window. And this is that 40 days where Jesus appears to the disciples, proves that he is alive, teaches them, gives them instruction about all kinds of things. The ascension happens. All of this is in that 50-day period. And then uh, the, the word Pentecost is Greek for 50th. Okay? Just, that's just what it means. It's the 50th. And you can see that if you're one of those people who wants to look this up. If you look back to Exodus 23 and Leviticus 23, both of those, it's verse 16, you'll see the institution of this event, of this uh, feast that was to happen in Jerusalem. Attendance was required at this. Acts 2, uh, 9 through 11, a little bit further down in the passage, it says that devout Jews from at least 15 cultures, I read that list, I bet none of you wanted to read that list in public either. <clears throat> I didn't. Uh, but f- at least 15 cultures are represented in this place. But what's really important about this, with this word Pentecost, is that that word conceals what the, the feast was really about. It wasn't about 50 days. It was about the harvest. It was the feast of the harvest. Do you see the imagery here? The importance I think the disciples might have been in the room and maybe they didn't get that, but they knew this was a big day. It was the 50th day. It was another feast in town in Jerusalem. It was a a feast related to a grain harvest for the Jewish people. But for the new disciples, the followers of Christ, it was about communicating the gospel of redemption to lost people and the harvest that is provided in souls coming into relationship with Christ. Did I mention, all all of these people are in town at this one time, which brings this extra meaning. We'll get to to that in just a minute. So, the Holy Spirit makes quite a dramatic entry into this scene. And if you look at Acts 2, again, we'll just read uh, the, the last part of 1. They were all together in one place, in verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So, for some reason, God chooses for the Holy Spirit to come suddenly with this noise, this rushing wind sound. And that sound was loud enough for people outside of that room, wherever they were, to hear and be attracted to it. The, uh, the question that, that rose in my mind just reading through that was one that often happens uh, with me is why, why not today? Why is the Holy Spirit not making a noise like that to uh, attract attention or move us? Why, why, God, why don't you do something like that and shake us up? And I, I pondered that for a long time and a couple of thoughts came to me. One is that um, God knows what he is doing. And so he had a reason for doing that thing then. And I'm going to trust him with that. And he has a reason for not doing that thing right now. And this was a very special event. Like Tyler mentioned earlier, this is the start of the church. And God is just anointing it and 
just making special things happen on this day of the Feast of Harvest. You know, I've got all that baggage of Pentecost and Pentecostals and this and that around the Holy Spirit. We need to scrape that off. This is the Feast of Harvest, and it was when the Holy Spirit came for the purpose of redeeming people through his servants. But the sound was just a small part of it. We, can't, we also cannot ignore the, uh, the fire that was present. So look at Acts 2.3. It says, Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. That must have been pretty awe-inspiring in that room. Imagine the wind and the sound, and it was sudden, so it startled them. And suddenly it's calm, and there are these tongues. This amazing miracle is happening and spread out across everyone who's in the room. We don't know how many people were there, but there were a lot of people in the room, and these tongues of fire spread out across them. And fire in representing God's presence shouldn't be a surprise to us. Are there some other times that that God showed up in fire? Burning bush. Good, you went to Sunday school. (laughs) What else? Yeah, several times in the Exodus, we have God revealing himself and leading through this fire. Okay, fire is sometimes in judgment. In the future, fire is often a representation of God's presence. And so it shouldn't have been a surprise. Although when I see it here, when I read it, just read it, I'm like, fire. Then I think, oh, wait, 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 wait. Sometimes God does this. When Moses came to the burning, to the bush, and it was burning, and God spoke to him. It wasn't long after that that Moses became the mediator between the people and God, right? You read that story, he's going to God, he's pleading for the people, he's a mediator. And the Levitical priesthood arose and they were the mediators between man and God. Significance of the fire spread out across these people. There is no more mediator that is human. There is no more mediator. It is the Holy Spirit indwelling us with Christ that connects us to the Father. And Christ is at the right hand of the Father, remember last week, interceding for us. He's our legal counsel on our behalf. He is the mediator now. That is significant, and that's where that fire matters, that it spreads out across all of those people. God is doing all kinds of things to tell us what's going on on Pentecost on the Feast of Harvest. So what happens next? In Acts 2, 4, just keep on rolling down there. Uh, It says, and they were all, the fire is on them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This was a special filling of the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose, to communicate the message of redemption. It's important to understand that. God is doing something different with the Holy Spirit going forward. But every believer, everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, has been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. 
That is part of what happens. And in that sense, we have the body of Christ in us and we are redeemed. We are old, the old things have passed and we're completely new in Christ. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But this is a special filling of the Holy Spirit. And if you read through the rest of Acts, which hopefully you will as we're moving through this, you'll see that there are other times when God fills people with the Holy Spirit. And things happen. Great things happen. He has a purpose for this to happen. And we can't control the Holy Spirit. He comes suddenly, but we can talk to him and we can ask for him to move. But he comes suddenly on his own, in his own timing. And again, I ask myself, well, why not today? Why not right now? Do something amazing and fill us so that great things happen. I don't, I don't think it's a bad question, but God continues to answer it for me. When I say, why not today, Lord? And uh, this is where I'm, I'm thankful for uh, my friends and that I share time with. I was... Uh, uh, having a coffee with Andy Holstein. You guys know that guy? See here? Andy missed it. I'm talking about you. I'll just tell him the whole message later. We were having coffee early uh, down in town here a couple days ago, and I was in the process of wrestling through that thought. You know, God, why not now? Why not fill us or do something like that? And, and we were talking about the passage, and I actually hadn't brought that theme up to him. I hadn't brought that question to him. We were just talking about the movement of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. And I, uh, he said something that, that really meant a lot to me. I'm gonna, I paraphrased it, but he said something like this. It's so amazing to think that the Holy Spirit indwells us, that we have the actual Spirit of Christ in us, he was, he was getting a little animated at this point. He was up on the edge of the bench there. He says, but so often I feel unaware or not connected to him because I'm not looking for the power of the Spirit. And that caused me to, to pause for a minute and think, you know, am I looking with anticipation for the Spirit to move? I'm asking why God isn't doing that but am I in the position of looking and seeking and listening and watching for him to move? Like, remember, the disciples were in this room. Or they, they were waiting. They were anticipating the delivery of God's messenger to them, his helper. And we've got that. We've been promised that. And listening to Andy just reminded me, now, it is amazing that I have the Holy Spirit in me. I, I've become casually calloused to that fact. You know, I got this coating over that part of my spiritual life or something. I have this familiarity with it that makes it just, I'm a believer, okay, that's just, you know, on my resume. But he has done great things in filling us with the Holy Spirit, uh, in in dwelling us. And if we have a, a position of anticipation, I think that that is the first step. When the disciples were, were filled uh, at this moment, it was uh, anything but an ordinary situation. And I, I love the things that you can see 
through what happens to the disciples when, when the Holy Spirit fills them. They're waiting, and then God fills them, and things happen. And most of it happens through their voice. Most of what happens in the coming days and moments, even years, is through their voice. And look at uh, 2, 4, uh, the second half of it there. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the first thing is that when they were filled, they spoke in other languages, right? That's pretty obvious. That's what it's saying, point blank. Acts 2, 6 and 11, just a little bit further down in the passage, both say that the people were saying, they're speaking in my own language. So this isn't some spiritual language or anything like that, just to be sure we're, we're um, communicating clearly about that. This is, these are actual languages of the day. So when I picture that scenario, I think, that must have been like a cacophony, just a bunch of racket. That's the immediate thing that comes to my mind, what that might have been like in reality. Especially uh, when the interaction begins to happen between the people outside who've come together in the city and those who are speaking in these different languages. And they're, they're talking loud enough for people to hear them. And I thought, well, you know, where have I been in situations like that before? What, uh, and I, I thought of being in a foreign uh, airport. You know, when you're there and you're, you're waiting and you're in an international airport and you've already gone through customs and everything, and there are all kinds of people in there. And they're all talking in their own languages. And so there's this murmur, this din that's going on. But what, I, what I've noticed there, and if you've done this, you know what I'm talking about, you'll actually pick, above all the other noise, you'll pick up your own language. You ever notice that? It's, you know, kind of obvious. You, you're like, oh, and there's kind of this comfort. You know, these two people are over here talking, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I can relate to them. If anything happens, I can go talk to them. And so, you know, God is not a God of disunity and disorganization. He's a God of order. And I don't think this was some kind of crazy event, like out of order and, and um, impossible to understand. But I think what it did, clearly from the response we're going to see in a minute from the people who are listening, is that it brought this um, sense of comfort and peace and amazement. And that is not discord. Right? You don't find peace and, and you, don't, you don't connect when it's complete discord. So one thing is that their voice is clear in another language. And it, the things that they were saying, they were communicating, in the things that they were saying, they were communicating the message of redemption in a language that could be understood. And we know, as if you're a believer in here, and if you're not a believer, you especially know it, that there is a disconnect between the language and action of the church and our communities. We don't speak their language a lot of times. Even if we've just recently come from that culture and become believers, we, like we talked about last week, we isolate ourselves. 
But the first thing that happens with the disciples is what? They speak the language of the people that they're with, around, that are nearby them. All nations, all nations. So sometimes I think Christians think, well, I've got this important message, the resurrection and the ascension and salvation. Those are not culture words, by the way. Um, and I'm going to make sure these people hear that. Or th- that's the only way I can tell this stuff to them. No, we can take the content of the truth of the gospel of redemption and we can communicate that in a language that people understand. But that takes understanding them so that we know what's going to mean something to them. And that's the first thing that happened. That's the first thing that happened. You've got to think about the. This is huge, y'all. This is, this is what God is doing first in the Holy Spirit to start, through the Holy Spirit to start the church using the disciples. Not even saying something out loud himself or coming out of heaven like he could. He uses these people and their voices. He uses their voices. When they were filled, here's, this is probably my favorite thing about it all. When they were filled, they became courageous, right? There's a change here. And, you know, so often, even if it's just to say a small thing, I just wish I had a little more courage. And it's available to me. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to have just a little more. Just, and these guys are so, they went from, zero to hero. And next week, we're going to see Peter's complete transformation. Right? He's just going to, he is going to give an amazing message and people are going to be changed and he's going to do it in public of all things. One more thing about their voice is in verse 11, it says, it, it tells what the content of that was. And I referred to that just a bit already. It says in 11, the people said at the end of 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And remember, these people we learned earlier are the devout Jews coming to Jerusalem from all over the place. They know the story of everything that happened in the uh, Hebrew scripture. So when the disciples are speaking about the mighty works of God, what they're telling these people is they're telling them God's unfolding plan of the message of redemption. Peter's going to say it in long form, but this is what's being spoken. Those are the mighty works of God that they're talking about. So the content of their message is literally how God brought this all about. It's the story of redemption that they're, that they're speaking. So all these things happen through their voice. But what about the people who are hearing them? What happened to them? Well, let's, let's go with the last first. And if you look down at Acts 2.13, it's just the last line there. It says that some of the people there just mocked them and said they're full of wine, cheap wine. And I think it just reminds us from the beginning, uh, maybe Luke wanted to be sure we heard this, that there are always going to be people that are going to say, Psh, you're ridiculous. I don't care what you think. It's right there, right at the beginning. 
So just get used to it, okay? You're going to get mocked. People are going to think you're goofy because we're talking about resurrections and ascensions and crazy stuff that God's done for us. But let's be sure that they mock us because let's be sure that they mock us once we have taken the time to learn the language to communicate to them. And not mock us because we're hypocrites or because we don't have mercy or because we're judging them because of something that they're, they do or whatever. Because that stuff's not in this story. There's nothing about what they were like or anything. Nothing. I mean, Jesus goes to some pretty significant lengths to say, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's not about you. It's about all these people. And then we got all the languages. He's making several points to make sure we understand that. This isn't for us to keep. So first, they got mocked. A couple more things, and I'll wrap up. The other thing is, look at verse 6. At this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished. Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And then if you look down to verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed. Are you seeing these words being repeated several times? Amazed, perplexed, astonished. I checked those out in the Greek just to see if they weren't all like the same word or something just being retranslated. And they're all different words with different meanings. And they're pretty close. This translation is really good about that. And they're saying to each other, what does this mean? They were perplexed. They were interested. They were curious. They said, what does this mean? I need to know what this is. So some were mocking, but many were saying, I want to know what this means. You know, I wonder if, it, if the church could capture, or if individual believers in our community could capture the attention of our friends, neighbors, the city, in such a way that they would be amazed and curious. What would that look like? I'm not sure that at this moment they're curious. Maybe some are, I hope, but just think about, ponder that just a little bit. I'm going to read to you a little section here, and then I'm going to conclude. The whole event of the filling of the disciples with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is based on the heart of God to bring lost people into a relationship with him. Pentecost was the natural result of the work of Jesus on the cross, which was followed by the miracle of the resurrection, and next by the ascension, which unlocked the potential of those events. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit completes the promised handoff of the responsibility of the kingdom and of reaching lost people to the disciples. God gave them a beautiful and powerful beginning on the day of Pentecost, on the day of harvest. 
when many cultures were in town so that they could, the disciples could be his witnesses and share the mighty works of God in multiple languages for all nations. Crested Butte is constantly in the 50th day. It is always in Pentecost. The world was on the disciples' doorstep in Jerusalem. And the world is on our doorstep right now. Smart people who are religious are here all the time. and includes a lot of us and maybe the first time that we came here. We and they come to hear the voice of God in creation and mistake the real God for the creation. They turn the creation into God and themselves into God. Are we going to the trouble to learn their language so that we can speak the words of the message of redemption into their lives in a way that makes sense to them? So my, my desire for today is that we would be in a position like the disciples where we're looking with anticipation for what the Holy Spirit is going to do and what he is doing right now, instead of assuming that he is not and that we'd be ready to join him. And the second half of that is that the people here on their 50th day would see and hear and be amazed and be curious and seek answers, and we would have that answer, and that's Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, I just, uh, I do really pray. Father, as we look at all the things that you were doing in the beginning of your message uh, in your establishment of the church. God, we're, we're just um, overwhelmed in just two chapters in Acts of the amazing things that happen and all of these things that were foretold, which makes it even more amazing. But God, we, uh, we confess that we live with a hard shell around us that it prevents us, uh, because we're looking down so often, of, of you uh, rattling our cage, um, because we're looking for what you're doing with the Holy Spirit. I pray that each one of us who is a believer in this room would be ready to act when we see you moving and join in with you, with your spirit. And God, that we would experience that filling, whatever that thing is, whether it's a small thing or something really grand that you have. uh, We just, we ask for that. We want to be in a position of seeking that from you. In Jesus' name, amen.